Any words jumping into your head these last few days? Yeah, yeah. Actually, today I got one. Ah. Fatigue. Fatigue. It just it makes you tired just saying it, doesn't it? It is. It's got that kind of sound to it. It reminds me of a thing I heard from David White, you know, the poet. He said, the most exhausting word in the English language is should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Fatigue. We're certainly would appear to be experiencing a lot of fatigue. Yeah, it's, uh, it's COVID fatigue. It's spending time with your family fatigue. It's, it's uh, uh, right. you know, not being able to touch other people fatigue. I mean, yeah, but so it's not just an intellectual trip for me. I mean, I feel it's the word seems to capture my own mental state as I every day get up and do the commuter slog, uh, which takes me 35 seconds to get from the living room to the... <laughs> my office unit here and then turn on my computer and see what mail there is and there's not any mail and then i have to figure out what i want to do to be a productive employee and oh yeah yeah you know, so it's um that's the kind of thing that i'm talking about yeah it's interesting the first definition that i see here is i'm looking at an online dictionary and it mentions here and you talk about fatigue itself being a word that sort of like expresses how you feel one of the first definitions is weariness yeah. And then another one is very sensual, these words. Yeah. So it's it comes right out of your body. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And it, and it can be a cause of weariness. So the fatigue of doing something, as you, as you mentioned, hanging out with your family. The fatigue of not really fully engaging. You know, yeah. the, uh, they talk about, well, in terms of basic exercise and things like that, you go out and run up and down the street, you know, and you have a period of exertion or stimulation. And then it's followed by a period of fatigue, which is a, a sort of a diminution of the functioning of organs or cells or whatever, uh, or, or perhaps a resting period, but there's after exertion. But fatigue is something you experience when you're not really exerting. Uh, you, you, you talked about the fatigue of your 35 second commute from the bedroom to the computer table. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, I got on the road this morning to drive out to Wooden Hills to look at this place. And it was, it was a good bit of commuter traffic still going. And it was kind of nice to get in the car and engage in traffic, like, you know, switching lanes and having to pay attention. You know, having something that pulls you out of yourself and say, pay attention here. Make note yeah. what's happening up ahead, that sort of thing. And it was stimulating. You know, there is an engineering definition for fatigue. It has to do with uh, something like what happens to bridges when they get old. Oh, yeah, metal fatigue. Yeah. Or the, the fatigue of some part of the structure. Of course, now we're talking about things that are bearing a load. Uh-huh, right. The material's ability to bear the load is, it's exhausted. There's another word, exhausted. Exhausted, <laughs> yeah. The fatigue comes from a Latin, which means to tire, fatigare. So again, we're talking about an energy levels, right, or an energy availability of energy, and a situation where... The energy is diminished because of a of um, of a load that you're bearing over time, and it, it doesn't change. It stays the same, and you still have to keep going. And yeah. so somehow you, you get exhausted because the energy to support all that runs out. Yeah, and when they say the bridge or the structure was created, of course, the energies are measured at their at their freshness. I mean, you take a, the full weight of that which will have to be held up. And you also have new material that is at its full component of uh, resistance to bending or the ability to hold things up. 
And then that over a period of time, it's almost like a sort of a subtle kind of entropy or something like that, that that relationship between the two very active and new, well-defined, well-measured elements starts to give way. And the supporting material begins to tire. And because it's the original structure is based on the relationship between the two materials, the material that is sort of being supported is also going through a change. It's like it sort of settles or sinks, changes its its um, energetic tension, as it were, by sinking into a supporting structure, which is being fatigued from holding it up. Wow. Yeah, the, the fatigue is it's a kind of a collective thing in that sense, at least thinking, of, thinking about it from the engineering point of view. Yeah. I, I was wondering, we were talking about, say, being fatigued from being with your family all the time and... COVID lockdown situation, uh, the structure of the family, the relationship of the tensions that are normally held in you know, normal family's life. Uh, some people come and go during the day. Uh, people come over to visit and that sort of thing. There's a set of relationships there that during, during the pandemic, one part of that series of relationships starts getting emphasized to the exclusion of others. And the, the structure of the family, they just can't hold that up. And, and we're normally spending time together might be a treat. Like, well, this treat is killing me. It can't go on any longer. Yes, that's, that reminds me. Um, years ago, uh, I went on some sort of retreat, and uh, one of the points that they made about relationships was that if you take your two hands and put them in front of your face and cross the fingers together so that you have the palms facing each other and the fingers are holding each other and you're, you know, kind of like if you were praying. Uh-huh, right. Yeah. And that is the, for a lot of teenagers, myself included, that was the sense of, well, how, how our relationship should be, right? The two people, you know, really together. Uh-huh. Yeah. And in this exercise, what they said was, okay, now turn it around, open your fingers straight up, turn it around so that your two backs of your hands are together uh-huh. and link your fingers together there. And uh-huh. what you have is a situation where you're still related to the other person, but you're facing outward. Yeah. And so what's happening is that for me and for a lot of people, the outward facing piece is um, reduced to very, very minimal contact. Mm. And so that means that the relationship, of course, what happens, it turns around. So you, you can turn it around and the two people are facing each other and it's like clenching and that there's no growth there. And so I think uh-huh. that's another way of looking at how that could become wearisome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because something about the fatigue and all of these instances we're talking about is a suggestion of continuous, you know, focused pressure. Right. And that and it can and, and in, a, in a situation like a relationship, which for it to be healthy, the people have to grow, they have to move and go through changes. Then this continuing focus of energy could be very, very damaging. Like the relationship is not relating. It's just hanging on. Yeah. When the hands are turned out, if I understand what you're saying, when the hands are turned out, you have a place where the hands are exposed to other elements of life besides just the the thing, this the clinch that they're exposed to when the hands are facing each other. I'm following you there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so there's these are all different ways of trying to understand energy flow because because while you're outward facing, there's there's incoming energy and there's a, an exchange of energy going on that makes everything richer. Uh huh. And so where the fatigue comes in is when that's taken away and now now suddenly you've got to hold the whole structure up without the extra energy. Right, right. You can see why people are having mental health issues around this all now. Yeah, and they need to get out. There's no doubt about it. 
they need to they need to shake they need to be able to shake that up and of course the idea is to be able to try and do that safely but because the nature of the virus you know says lock down don't go out don't go out and touch new things be careful of what you venture out into but the answer to fatigue seems to be invoke the energy and like it needs the curious stress of energy applied got to undo fatigue in that sense as I was saying, when I got in the car and was out suddenly engaging in traffic, it was like my mental fatigue kind of went away. It's like, ah, I'm alive. I'm out in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that that en- engagement um, p- produced more energy. Yeah. It's not that the energy was not available. It's that the, the command to engage had not been given. It had been held back, which is kind of what happens in this. And we were talking about the relationship, being spending t- all the time focused just on the one other person. The engagement is not demanded. So fatigue has kind of an inwardly turned aspect to it. I think at least in the way we're entertaining the word fatigue here in terms of COVID and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Another piece of this is that, you know, in any relationship, the any relationship is made up of the individuals who are in the relationship. Sure. So you don't, you don't have a relationship that is... Um, you know, despite the fairy tales and stuff, that that it's just the fairy princess and her her prince, uh-huh. um, and and that and that's what that is. No, it's it's those two people individually are in that relationship. Yeah. And so the key to this, I think, has to do with our own individual sense of energy and our own understanding of the source of our energy that comes from our innate or our ability to connect with our innate energy. If we can get beyond just thinking about these things in terms of their material outpicturing and think about them more in terms of where what where are we going to draw our energy from? Yeah, because if the drawing of the energy for it to be meaningful or to be authentic for an individual, it's got to come from their sense of self. You can call upon energy, say, in a relationship. If you and, and we do this all the time, and it's not that it's bad. We do this all the time. We, we call up an energy to play a certain kind of role to deal with an issue in the relationship. And perhaps we call on a role of mea culpa to appease another person in the relationship. Or we call on a, on a role of coca pelle, trickster or something, to surprise another person in the relationship. But the relationship that's, that's going to be the one of greatest value is the one where... When you call upon your energy, you call upon it out of a sense of your innate self, which is unique to you and may not be anything like the same kind of energetic evoked by another person out of their unique self. But to understand this, as opposed to fear it or be jealous of it or be afraid somebody's going to go do what they really want to do and and, and the relationship will be over. Really understand this is is the basis of a true, might even say spiritual, relationship, an authentic relationship. Yeah, and, and that means that there's a um, spiritual source that can be gone to. So I'm a Gemini, right? So I'm complaining about not having, you know, usual kind of um, contacts of meeting uh, people and smiling and, you know, stuff like that all the time. Yeah. But understanding the spiritual source of, uh, of our energy, then um, I think it's possible to find the stimulation from a different source. And I think that in a case like this, where we have so much death and so much trauma going on, mm-hmm. it, it's possible to, in your consciousness, in your perception, to reach into profound, profound depths of understanding. Yes, I agree. And we need to. We need to invoke, evoke that energy and, and express it. 
We really we we need to take advantage of that opening into the depths of our real spirit self. Because otherwise, we're just putting band-aids on this role and putting band-aids on that role, putting band-aids here and there in the other place. And a lot of that's sort of necessary, you know, treating treating wounds, putting band-aids and stuff. But this is when we talk about the bigger picture of what COVID is trying to get us to understand from the point of view of universe and spirit and, and even divinity, we need to reach deep into that most authentic part of, our, of each of ourselves. And when you have this kind of tragic situation sort of staring you in the face, you're right. It's really the time when you can do that. Elizabeth Keebler-Ross uh, gave a lecture. I think it might have been one of her very last lectures uh, in Kona when I was there. And she described a situation of a young boy who had leukemia and was at the point where he was getting ready to pass on. And she said um, people were astonished because of his incredible serenity and his calm. Uh. And then she went on to describe, and it's probably in one of her books, but I, I don't know where it is. What she described was that when a person gets to a certain point where they're, they're getting close to dying, there's a kind of a quadrant of the personality that opens up, and in comes this, this huge supply of understanding. Oh. And so I believe that for a lot of us here, this same trauma gives us the opportunity, if we are willing to go inside and commune with the spiritual side of ourselves instead of constantly trying to adjust what's out there, uh -huh. I think it's possible for people to come to profound understandings that will change their life forever. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the first times uh, I went out to a lecture when I was in the Army in Hawaii, went over there in 1969 and was working in the uh, mental hygiene clinic, which is an awkward way to describe. <laughs> yeah, it's military speak for you know, clean, cleaning up your mental act, so to speak. <laughs> image of little toothbrushes rubbing around on all the gray matter, right? Uh, one of the other, one of, one of my supervisors in the clinic was uh, Staff Sergeant, Sergeant Mann, a veteran of uh, late. He wasn't really involved too much in World War II until the very end, but he was, went through Korea, which was a very hard situation, more Vietnam-like than World War II in a way. And he, we went to hear Elizabeth Kubler-Ross speaking down in Honolulu at the university down there. And she, was a, she had a remarkable touch in terms of talking about that transition that uh, many of us just don't even want to think about at all as a, such an opportune moment. And I'm thinking of Sogyal Rinpoche, of course, in his book. But the opportunity for understanding that will, you know, completely alter the way you perceive your life and, and the world around you. And needful and understanding that leads to a way to perceive that we need to, need to have, we need to be able to have, so that we see everything in its holism, in its whole context. Not that it all stops when you die and that's the end of the game, but it really does, as you say, open a great doorway to a profound understanding. And I think maybe one of the things that can be understood very profoundly at that point is what we would refer to as compassion especially when we're working with someone or they're working with us at a moment of transition. Something that just really lets us know how together we, we are, how your wellness is much a gauge of my wellness as mine is. Yeah. Fatigue. Interesting. And the, the obverse. Compassion? Is that the Compassion. obverse, do you think? Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, could be. Because something, you know, there's a, there's a sense of, you know, weariness from mental exertion, bodily exertion, but spiritual exertion is a different kind of thing. And yeah, that compassion is a spiritual exertion that coming out of that uh, sense of understanding you were talking about, I mean, it literally puts more life into your life. 